the kingdom of Israel was split. We now have a king over Judah and a king over Israel. And we're going to focus on Judah. King Jotham was his name. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years. His son, his name was Ahaz. He was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years. His son's name was Hezekiah. More popular one was 25 when he began to reign. He reigned for 29 years. King Jotham, the dad, was a good king. King Hezekiah, the son, was a good king. King Ahaz, right in the middle, which some would argue was the worst, most evil king of Judah. He had a good dad. He had a good son. Ahaz was a mess. I want to look at some things concerning King Ahaz this morning, and it's found in a relatively short chapter in the Old Testament of 2 Kings 16. You may want to open the Bible to there and just kind of follow along as we go through this a little bit. As I stated, Ahaz was messed up. He didn't serve God. He sacrificed his own child to a pagan god, which the Bible plainly says is an abomination. Even the people that were there in that land before God drove them out, that's what they used to do. And because of that, God drove them out of that land. Now God's chosen people were doing what the people he drove out of the land were, are doing. Ahaz sacrificed and burned incense in the high places on the hills under every green tree, made molten images for Balaam. This guy, again, was messed up. I won't take time to read it, but if you want to go to 2 Chronicles 28, 5-8, and I'll just paraphrase, paraphrase real quickly on this. The king of Syria came up to fight Judah, and they killed and carried off all these people. Okay. So here's what we have. The king of Israel also and the king of Syria, they came up and fought Judah. It cost Judah 120,000 fighting men were killed in one day. And then, not only that, a guy named Zikri, one guy killed Messiah, which was the king's own son. He also killed Aziakam, which was the governor of the king's house. And this guy also killed Ancana, which was second in command to King Ahaz. And then not only that, 200,000 women and children were carried up captive. That's quite a loss. The Bible says this all happened because Judah had forsaken the Lord their God. But please remember something. God had made a promise that a Messiah would come from the house of David. God would preserve Judah. King Ahaz was the king of Judah. He'd gone off the rails. But even then, I want you to listen to these verses found in Isaiah. God told Isaiah the prophet to go meet up with Ahaz. Let's read this, Isaiah 7.10. Moreover, the Lord spake unto, again unto Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah, saying, verse 11, ask me a sign. Ask the Lord God for a sign. Ask if, if you want something in the depths 
on earth or if you want something in the heavens. Isaiah is saying to Ahaz, God wants to prove himself to you, Ahaz, and you can ask anything. If you want there to be an earthquake, ask, and God will rumble the ground. If you want somebody to raise from the dead, ask, and he'll raise him out of the tomb. If you want God to make another star in the sky, ask, and God's going to do that. Whatever you ask, Ahaz, God is going to give you a sign. Isaiah 7, 12. But Ahaz says, yeah, I don't think I'll ask. Neither will I tempt the Lord. Ahaz refused to ask or even want to deal with God because he had already made up his mind to align himself to the king of Assyria. During all this time, you have Israel marching 200,000 of the kinfolk back with them and the spoils off from the battle. A prophet meets all those people on the battlefield or that was coming back from battle and he told them, you're not bringing those Judean Judean, uh, captives back in here. Those are God's chosen people. Those are even our kinfolk because we're Israelites. Even though the kingdom split, we are not going to, you're not bringing them back in here. That's a sin against God. Other rulers of Israel start standing up and said, yes, you're not bringing those people into here. That is not the plan of God. That is not what he wants. So the army just left them all standing there. So we have all these captives and all this spoil and they're just all standing there looking around and but the Bible says that these rulers went out and they fed those captives and they took care of those captives and they helped those captives and they sent them all back home. I just want you to understand something about the promises of God. I don't care who's in office. I don't care who conquers who. I don't care what law does this or that. God takes care of his people. And he takes care of his promises. Some of us need to thank God over and over that great, great grandma used to pray for us because we're saved today because somebody was promised to way back then and God keeps his promises. When God makes a statement, when God makes a promise, he is a God that cannot lie. He will perform it. He will bring it to pass. Well, it looks like they're passing that law, and it looks like it's going to be harder and harder for the church. Maybe they are, but I know Jesus said the very gates of hell can't prevail against this church. And I know he said he'll present to himself a glorious church without spot or blemish or any such thing. Money and laws and power and government and war and upheaval will never stop our God. There will be revival. There will be latter-day pouring. There will be things that happen. There will be miracle signs and wonders. No one or no thing is going to stop God. He has said it. He will perform it. So we have Isaiah the prophet telling Ahaz, you're in trouble. Two armies are marching up against you. Let's talk to God. Second Chronicles 28, 28, 16. At that time, 
did King Ahaz send unto, unto the king of Assyria to help him? Ahaz, Isaiah standing here with a word from God. And Ahaz, I think I'll reach out to Assyria. 2 Kings 16, 7. Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, I'm your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the kings of Aram and the king of Israel who are attacking me. I'm your servant and vassal. How different from his great, great, whatever great grandfather, David, when he said in Psalm 18, 6, when he was in trouble, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto God. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry came before him even unto his ears. Not only did Ahaz not call on the Lord and did call on a pagan king, he also took the silver and gold out of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and he gave it all to the king of Assyria as a present. That got the king of Ahaz at least moving, and Ahaz, the king of Assyria, I'm sorry, moving. And he came down and did some fighting, and he, he killed off some people that were bugging Ahaz and, and, and they were coming up against Judah, and they, he carried off some captives. And ultimately, Assyria, they killed the king of, king of Syria. Now, it seems we have, as this took place, it seems now Ahaz, not looking at God, but looking at this king of Assyria, now it looks like we have some hero worship going on. Ahaz wanting to sit at the cool kids' table. Because verse 10, I don't have it, production team, but 2 Kings 16.10, it tells us that Ahaz went to Damascus to meet up with his new cool friend. We have to pause here, folks. I have to read you something. Think with me here. I want you to try again. It's in my head and I hope I can get it out to you, but get this straight and understandable. Remember me telling you that Ahaz came, or Isaiah came and he spoke to Ahaz. And God said, I'm going to give you a sign. Now let's back this up and let me tell you, let me read you some scriptures of why this transpired. Isaiah 7, 1 through 7. It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel. That's those two armies, they went up towards Jerusalem to war against it. They could not prevail against Jerusalem. They got other things in Judea, but they could not prevail against Jerusalem, and that was the problem. Verse 2, and it was told the house of David. I think God gave some promises to David. It was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved. And the heart of his people as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. You have this, get in the picture, you have this, two kings marching up against uh, Judah. They've come up and attacked already and killed 120,000, carrying 200,000 people off. And there's all kinds of stuff going on. Judah had already suffered great loss because of them. So the people were terrified. I get that. Ahaz was terrified. I get that. These kings were coming to remove Ahaz and put in their own little puppet king, which God said won't happen. But that was their plans. Verse 3. 
Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Isaiah, I want you to go meet Ahaz, the guy that's worshiping pagan idols, the guy that's not doing right, the guy that's doing everything against me. I want you to go talk to him because his great-great-grandpa used to pray. And I want you to go talk to him. And he said, I want you to take your son, Shir Jeshub, thy son, and at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. This is fascinating. We have armies again marching up against Judah. We have Ahaz and the people terrified. So much so, Ahaz is overseeing a project. The project at the conduit of the upper pool, this project was to make sure that if those armies came and seized the city of Jerusalem, that they would have water in the, in the city. He was scared to death. They were prepping for the worst. God said, Isaiah, go tell Ahaz this word. Verse four, say unto Ahaz, listen up, dude. Calm down, neither be faint-hearted, for these two tales of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and son of Remaliah, because Syria and Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, have taken evil counsel against these, saying, let's go up against Judah. Two of the kings get together, let's go up against Judah and vex it, and let's make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabeel, which someone says they were just mocking. That's a fictitious insult because son of Tabeel means son of a good for nothing. So they were saying, these men had gotten together and said, we're just going to ransack Jerusalem. We are just going to tear everything up. We are going to do what we want to. We're going to divide the spoils between us. And then if they want a little puppet king in there, we'll do that. We are going to devastate that city. Get the picture. Isaiah is telling, or God is telling Isaiah to tell Ahaz this. Ahaz already knows two armies is marching up against me. They've already caused some problems. And now he is telling him, here's their plan in secret. God is revealing what they all said. So what do we have next? We have God telling Isaiah to continue on and talk to Ahaz. Verse 7. Then saith the Lord God, it ain't happening. It shall not come to pass. God said, I don't care who has what planned. It's not happening. Remember, God had made a promise to the seed of David that would reign on his throne forever. The Messiah was going to be born from the lineage of David, which was of the house of Judah. They could not ransack Jerusalem and set up some fake puppet king because God had already laid claim and made a promise that it would not happen. That's why Isaiah told Ahaz, I've told you all this. God is going to bail you out. What sign do you want to prove it? Name it and God will do it. And Ahaz, yeah, I'm good. I've got another plan. I know a guy. When God says you can just calm down and have peace because I'm going to handle this, you don't have to reach out to anybody else. 
you can go ahead and have peace because God said he's going to handle it. He's a God who cannot lie. What he promised, that will he perform. Philippians 4 tells us, be careful for nothing or don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, just pray and with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the God of peace and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's what God has promised. Isaiah 59, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, but that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. Tell him, talk to him what he said, that's what he promised. John 14, 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. And you may say in your yourself. I, I don't think that'll work. I know another guy. I think I'll just rest on this person or rest on that person. And God said, I won't leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Nah, let's try this over here. Malachi 3.10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and Prove me therewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Nah, I think I can handle my finances my way. I've got some friends who I'll consult with. It sounds like they've a wonderful business plan. I think I'll go with what they say, not what the word says. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Well, they're really nice people. I think I'll just bind up with them. What does the word say? Psalm 91, 7, a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand. It ain't gonna touch any of God's children what does the word say? Romans 8.31, what shall we say to anything? If God is on my side, who can be against me? That's what the word says. No weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. <laughs> When are we going to trust what God says? Has God said it? Then that settles it. He will perform it. You don't need another opinion. You don't need another book. You don't need another convention. You need to talk to Jesus and get back in the word and find out what God said. Take a rabbit trail. It's not a rabbit trail if it's in my notes. Remember the rule. Let's jump ahead in history. We're going to talk about Hezekiah. He has a son. Same scenario. An army was coming up against Judah. This time the army was Assyria. The one that dad trusted in now was attacking his son. Oh, Lord, could we do a Father's Day lesson there? 
2 Chronicles 32, 7 and 8. Hezekiah tells the people, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with them. For there be more with us than with him. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, thousand, three. I'm not sure that's true, Hezekiah. Eight. Because with him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God. And he is able to fight our battles. And what did the people do? Everybody just calmed down and they realized and they trusted the words of King Hezekiah because they knew he was right. When you know who you are, when you know who you trust in, when you know his promises, you can rest in him. You can have peace in him. If the Lord says he's going to help, he's going to help. If the Lord says he'll deliver, he's going to deliver. If the Lord said he'll supply all your need, he'll supply all your need. If the Lord said we're more than conquerors, we're more than conquerors. If the Lord said he'll hear us, he'll hear us. If the Lord said he'll forgive us, he'll forgive us. If the Lord said he'll save us, he'll save us. Don't start looking around to the arm of flesh. Somebody look to God. God said it. You can trust him. Let me go back to the account in 2 Kings 16. We have, a, we, have, we have Ahaz, now dependent on the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria helped him. So Ahaz, remember he made the arrangement, he was going to go meet him. Meet his new buddy. Meet his new cool friend. Let's look at 2 Kings 16, 10 through 11. King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath Pelizar. I'll say his name 50 different ways. King of Assyria. While Ahaz was there, he saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it according to all the workmanship thereof. And Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it against King Ahaz came from Damascus. I'm going to explain this, but I've got one phrase to say here first. You have got to be kidding me. King Ahaz didn't trust God. Trusted some guy that came back on his son. So now went to his new hero, his new deliverer, this new cool guy, the king of Assyria. While Ahaz was there sitting at the cool kid's table. He saw an altar that impressed him. Oh, that altar was cool. 
These people worship false gods. It was a pagan altar. Ahaz sent back the drawings and the blueprints to the priest, the pastor, can we say, of the church in Jerusalem. Uriah started building it and had it done by the time Ahaz got back home from his little hero worship trip. Ahaz so caught up and he said, I'm your servant and your vassal with his new Lord, the king of Assyria, that he wanted to impress him and wanted to incorporate the latest trends in altar design. It was so cool, that altar. And then we hear this, 2 Chronicles 28, 23, for he, Ahaz, sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus those were the gods he thought smote him. And he said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore I'll sacrifice to them that they may help me. What a messed up mind. The Bible says, but they're the ruin of him and also of all of Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, are you seeing the downward spiral here? This out of control spiral. Talk about from bad to worse. Ahaz not committed to God. Didn't trust God even when a prophet told him what God had said. Called on a pagan king for help. Now submitted himself to that king. Ahaz went and visited that pagan king and got some of their church ideas and started implementing them back in Jerusalem. 2 Kings 16.12 and when King Ahaz was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar. And the king approached to the altar and offered thereon. So now we have Ahaz acting as a priest. He was too cool to follow any rules. Going up to a pagan altar, worshiping a false god in front of the temple. In front of of the house of God, the area that was dedicated to the worship of the one true God. But understand something else. Because of his newfangled altar they had put at the church, the Bible says they started moving other furniture around. Remember how the instructions of the temple were given? There were specific pieces of furniture in specific places, all symbolic of the gospel. Ahaz had brought this new altar, put it in the temple, or in front of the temple. Bible says, then he removed the old bronze altar. It says he shoved it to the side. That old altar of sacrifice, that altar where sins were repented of, it was just an eyesore and so outdated, especially compared to this new, newfangled altar. Matter of fact, Ahaz told Uriah, use this new altar for all the worship. And that bronze altar, ah, stuff it over there. I'll decide what to do with that later. It's so 950s BC. The altar from Solomon's temple. 
that was sanctified by God at the dedication of the temple. Yes, that altar. Just hide it to the side because it doesn't look good in our motif around here. I'll decide later what to do with it. Then the Bible says that Ahaz said, you know those carts they haul water with? Those portable water carts? Take all the sides off of that. Get rid of the water carts. They were the carts that filled the bronze basin up. And while you're at it, that big old basin thing, cut it off, all the, 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 the bulls, the, the, the fabricated bulls under there, the bronze oxen, I mean, the, that, that it's placed on. Throw it on the stone pavement over there too. So Ahaz, let me get this clear. We're not going to hear what the prophet said. We're going to worship false gods. We're going to reach out to the world for help, even though God said he'd help. We're going to convince ourselves that the cool people helped us and they have the answer. So we're going to duplicate their ways of worship, bringing their altar type service into our church. We're going to remove old-fashioned repentance. And while we're at it, drain the baptismal tank too. Am I missing anything? Yeah. Because verse 18 tells us that he removed the canopy. No one knows exactly what this was. But most agree it was for either people to gather under or at least the king's family to gather under to protect them from the elements. So he removed the canopy. And then the Bible says he also removed the king's entrance to the temple. He removed repentance. He removed baptism. And he removed protection. He even removed his own entrance. It looks like to me, King Ahaz did all he could to change the way how everything operated in the church. And he himself decided he wasn't even going to church anymore. Ahaz messed up the worship. It wasn't just cool anymore. Brought pagan things into the church. 2 Chronicles 28, 24. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut them up and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and made altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Not good altars. This verse is telling us he ultimately shut down the church. So much so when his son, King Hezekiah, came. Let's read this real quick. Second Chronicles 29. I told you to get your Bible reading in. Starting at verse 3. He, Hezekiah, in the first year of his reign, the first month, opened the church back up. And repaired the doors. And then he brought the priests, verse, two, verse 4, and the Levites, and gathered them together into the east street. And said unto them, hear me, ye Levites. 
Sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and get rid of all of the filthiness out of this holy place. Verse six, for our fathers trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Seven, and they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. They ended up just completely shutting down church and boarding everything up. They didn't want to worship anymore. They didn't want to repent anymore. They didn't want to lift up the name of God anymore. They didn't want to come to worship anymore. I'm sorry, folks. There's just so much stuff going on here. Let's read 2 Kings 16, 18. Again, and so you understand where we're at. The covered or the covering or the, or the, the cover, the Sabbath, uh, for the Sabbath that they had built in the house and the king's entry without, that's what I was talking about, he removed those things. This is all I want from this verse, last little bit, for the king of Assyria. Do you know why Ahaz changed everything and the downward spiral and ultimately shut down the church? It was for the king of Assyria. He did not want to offend his new hero, the king of Assyria. Does not this sound like today? They are boarding up churches. People aren't going to churches anymore. They're doing all they can. I have no intention or desire to offend to make people upset, to hurt feelings, to even be unlikable anyway. But I'm not trying to be cool. The young people may say, good thing at your age. But this morning I feel a little bit like Simon Peter and the other apostles when they hauled them into court, Acts 5.29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. We don't need to be looking for the world, to the world for answers when Jesus is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I know it's not always pretty and it's not always that seeker friendly and it may not be the latest way, but the altar of repentance will remain at the sanctuary. Luke 13 says, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Acts 3, 19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. We can't just throw the experience at the altar to the side because it may mess up a program a little bit or we don't want someone to feel conviction or uncomfortable. No leave the altar of repentance at the church. We're not going to drain the baptismal tank and pretend it's no longer important because Colossians 2.12 says, buried with him in baptism. First Peter says the like figure whereunto even baptism 
baptism doth also now save us. Acts 10 48 and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Acts 22 16 and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. Galatians 3 27 for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It is not something we can change. It is not something we can remove. It is not something we just ask around to see what the popular vote of the church is. What does the word say? And that's what we're going to preach. And don't remove the canopy that's going to protect us from the world and the devil. There is still power in the name of Jesus. There is still power in the blood of Jesus. I know it's not in vogue to sing or preach about it, but what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 19, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. We should not be interested in trying to set the direction of this church based on what is acceptable or popular or so-called cool in the world because the Bible says, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I know it may not be popular according to the philosophy of this world. And it may seem so first century, but it's still the right message. It's still what God has said. It's still the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's still repentance, water, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Musicians, I give you hope. I'm almost done. Do not misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I'm not too proud to say someone else has a better method. Someone has a great way of doing this or that. And I can learn, we can learn from other people. No problem with any of that. But that will come to a quick stop when their method or their style or their doctrine or their philosophy is watering down or changing what God has said in his word. You can look to the world for answers. You can hero worship. You can bend and mold and flex to make sure not to offend anyone in any way. You can look for a new way to Jesus. You can remove repentance, baptism, and the protection through the blood and separation from the world. You can even try to shut the church down. But I have made my decision. As for me and my house, we absolutely will serve the Lord.
And as long as I have a voice in this church, we will still say repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We still will say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We will still say, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. We still will say, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. We're still going to preach the word because the word won't change. I don't care what they say. I'm not interested in being cool. I'm interested in getting people to heaven. I'm interested in preaching the word. 